Welcome back to Redline, a millennial tale of passionate love in the combative workplace set in Boston. Hop on board for the next episode of Pia's Tale here on Redline. The next Redline train to Alewife is now Right after our weekend with the Dows in Dartmouth, I phoned my brother Dan about the new car. And he said, if Rod wants to give you a car, I mean has actually insisted on it, and he can afford it, and knows the risk of relationships, then it's his choice. So I kept the car. Back in school on Monday, I spoke to Charles about his painting. Rod wants to buy it if you're willing to sell. Uh, it's already sold. Sorry, Pia. What? You sold it? Yep, Tien. He wanted it. Well, at least he has a good eye, I said, trying to hide my surprise. But inside I felt stunned. Mr. Wu now had a painting of me as the Venus of Urbino. It was strangely intimate. Somehow it connected us in a sensual way. When I got home that evening, I tried to sound nonchalant as I gave Rod the news. Hey, I saw Charles, and turns out, Mr. Wu beat you to the punch. He's got the painting. Rod froze, his features scrunching toward his nose, but the next instant he gave a shrug and answered indifferently. At least my mission got accomplished. It's out of that Haitian whippersnapper's view. What? Charles is from New York. Yeah, but before New York. St. Lucia? Same thing, down there. What a jerk, even if he was saying those things just to provoke me. I'm sure both cultures are worthy of our respect, Haitian and St. Lucian. I might as well stop talking around you, he said and left the apartment abruptly, muttering an excuse about an errand. But he was walking out on me for the first time, and I felt a sense of foreboding. The Venus painting continued to cause me trouble, At my weekly check-in with Lori, I had to endure her stern lecture. Once again, you've shown poor judgment. And furthermore, it was brought to my attention by someone that you encouraged Charles to study all the Venus paintings from the Renaissance in preparation for his portrait. What? That's totally untrue. Who, Who told you that? Her lips quivered with the pleasure of upsetting me. That's not the point. Charles takes home books every night. And sometimes I suggest art to look at to see how painters have treated their backgrounds, how they've chosen their colors and techniques. In no way did I ever suggest he look at Venus's. According to you, that is. But the bigger issue here is how you inappropriately solicited a student to paint you and vice versa. But how is our painting anything but a learning experience? I was there teaching. It was practice. But the case was closed. She had delivered her judgment, and her pen moved on to the next point on her notepad. You also agreed with Tien about the painting, and challenged me in front of students and a parent. (sighs) What? How did her brain distort things? I shut down into an icy silence, my body language conveying my disdain. And let's see... Uh, Regarding your request for a field trip to see the Goya exhibit at the Fine Arts Museum, unfortunately, the school's budget is closed for the term. Too bad. The kids have been studying drawing and painting all term. A show like that doesn't happen every day. Then you should have planned better. 
You should have checked museum schedules before school started and put in for the trip. Teacher planning is essential for success here. You know, Lori, it's not just about art or my class. The European history class studied the Inquisition and watched Goya's ghosts. Going to the museum would be a cross-curricular activity. Then too bad you failed to plan. The students lost out. They'll have to be satisfied with the Hollywood movie. <laughs> if you consider Milos Forman Hollywood, whatever. I was going to say, if you want to take a few boarders in your own car this weekend, I'll approve it. Just remember to have them sign waivers in case you have an accident. <laughs> oh, sure. Gas, admission fees, snacks, my insurance. I didn't have the spare cash or the coverage. I gave a curt nod and left her office, my thoughts churning with the serious job hunt I would have to start right away. In this winter holiday period, Rod was also suffering at work. His bad client, Carlson, had filed a suit for $800,000 in damages. He claimed Rod's work had caused flooding that ruined antique rugs, furniture, and artwork in his basement, and also in his neighbor's basement, for which Carlson himself was being sued. He said Rod had caused serious pool damage with his deck installation. His claim included his estranged wife's 10-day hospitalization for a meltdown over the flooding. Biggest lie of all, Rod said. She's a notorious alcoholic and had a liver problem. I'm sure you're a lawyer. Yup, but it's going to take time. And the longer it drags out, the more it costs me. I'm just hoping George can settle it out of court, so I only lose a hundred grand. So much? Yeah, but better than 800. That would kill me. I watched him worry those December weeks. So many times he got up when he couldn't sleep and surfed the net, checking and rechecking his savings and investments adding their totals in his head in case he had to liquidate everything on short notice. We spent Christmas at a B&B &B near the ski slopes in New Hampshire. Rod relished the snowboarding, and for those brief days in the mountains, he forgot about the lawsuit. He put all his pent-up anxiety into his downhill battle with moguls and ice. At the end of each day, he propped contentedly on our bed to browse Boston real estate on his computer, with me at his side. I know you want Beacon Hill and the Red Line, honey, he said, fingers scrolling the trackpad. But this has to be an even trade for my house, and I'm not seeing anything in that price range. More will go on the market in spring. A future with you is what matters most to me. I didn't answer. His words made me wonder if he meant the suburbs would be okay as long as we were together. I didn't feel that way. Place was ultra important to me, and I still had my dream of living in Boston. After our trip, I still had a week of vacation left and applied myself to painting. I finished up the mainly green background I had chosen for Charles with its hint of a tropical climate that suited his mystique. I also completed the affectionate, nostalgic portrait of Wafa with her children and left it in her office for a surprise. Indeed, a day later she called. Oh my God, I love it! It's all I hoped for and much, much more. Thank you, Pia. I'm so glad you like it. <laughs> I like it too. It came out well. And get this, Lori stopped by and saw it. She couldn't take her eyes off it. And naturally, I sang your praises. <laughs> the kiss of death. I didn't think of that, but she wanted to know how much it cost. She said she and Ambrose had been wanting a portrait of Taylor. I can guarantee you she won't be calling me. You never know. Well, I'm glad she saw my work. Damn right. Vacation was long enough for me to become totally creative. Without any pre-thought, I found myself stretching a tall, rectangular canvas, much taller than me. My hand holding a medium brush, I began painting Rod with broad strokes. 
I watched as his glowering face emerged and its voice spoke to me. You better make this good. I was on fire and had no worries about that. My arm of its own accord was bringing out his full length poised against a tall stool. His legs splayed in their ripped jeans. The body was leaping out at me from the canvas. The pose had no rest. Tension vibrated just under the skin, and though the skin was covered by clothes, its hot, volcanic substance pulsated. His swashbuckling air, his cavalier attitude emanated into the background hues and textures that I would perfect later. The face absorbed me most. Blue-gray eyes under dark brows glared at me. It was the way I felt them, since I rarely saw them. The sizzling expression was so powerful that the man's will possessed me, even scorched me. I spent long moments of wonderment creating black-red bristles along the hairline and jaw. Their prickly texture conveyed the same sensuality as the body's electric essence. And the glossy hair, its rare auburn, combined with the tallness of my canvas and its subject, reminded me of Whistler's white girl with her beautiful hair and complexion, so like Rod's. And yet there was nothing white, innocent, or soft in my man. Anytime I stepped back to observe him, my eyes wanted to fasten on the vivid, almost terrible face that gripped me. But then the body pulled me away with its pulsing vitality. I was in love with the figure on the canvas and felt a craving inside that no brushstrokes or words or music could satiate. But there was a music to the painting. I felt the figure's low, rough chords and panting tempo that mirrored the hot, all-consuming emotion of love, a couple's passionate merging. It was the best painting I had ever made. We also looked at apartments during the vacation, and when January came, we continued our search despite the record snowfalls that hit Boston. One blizzard followed another, shutting down schools and businesses and crippling the city's subway system. Our landscape became one of towering snowbanks and buried sidewalks with cold and windy temperatures that never let up. Rod had been working with a realtor named Brenda Kane, a pretty brunette about my age with a vivacious personality. She took us to a few places we all knew weren't right. But it's good to have a look. We'll all get to know what you like and don't like. It helps all of us to see your reactions. One Saturday afternoon, the day after a major blizzard, when cleanup was still going on, she showed us an English basement on Beacon Hill. The hill's narrow streets and brick sidewalks lay under mounds of snow, most yet to be plowed or shoveled. I don't really like the low ceilings with columns dotting the living room, I said, standing in the squashed space. Or the windows along the sidewalk. Everyone can look in at us. Except when it snows, Brenda said, and indeed the windows were sealed off by snow. But it's a nice place, Rod said. All fixed up. We wouldn't have to do anything, just hang our hat. There's something to be said for that. Yes, sir, Brenda said, but there's no rush. A law will come on the market in spring. What bothers me is how anything that looks halfway decent online is already gone by the time I call you, Rod said. Yep, and the offer that gets accepted is much higher than the listing price. Yeah, that bothers me too. It's a seller's market. I promise, Rod, things will be looking better soon. She smiled coquettishly at him. Shall we go see the other place on Pinckney? It has a deck with a view. I like views. Rod said, and a view would make it easier for me to give up Wessex, but I know P is not excited about third-floor walk-ups. Well, Beacon Hill is walk-ups, but they're not so bad. You get used to them. Until you have to carry up groceries and bin canvases, I said. True, but you can always have your groceries delivered. 
Brenda smiled. Another city expense, Rod grumbled. Out on the snowbound street, the car is completely buried. Rod shook his head. I agree that Beacon Hill's charming, but the parking situation scares me. I guess we'll need to rent or buy a garage space or two or three. What do they go for, 20 grand? More like 60, but there's always Back Bay, more street parking. And I like what I've seen of Back Bay, more open space. To be honest, Beacon Hill feels claustrophobic. Not that I'm denying its old world flavor. There's no red line in Back Bay, I said quietly. The green line's a pain. That's right, if I were you, Rod, I'd go for the red line, Brenda said, leading us up three flights of tight steps to the Pinckney apartment. And immediately, I fell in love with the place. It had tons of sunlight flooding its central cavity. A renovation had opened up a warren of smaller rooms. Three walls of tall windows and a sliding patio door at the back brought in air and light, and the patio offered a skyline view. A cozy upstairs like a little tower had the only bedroom with an adjacent bath. I loved the apartment's tilted hardwood floors, its exposed brick walls. It had age and character. Best of all, the price was close to Rod's limit. It's wonderful, isn't it? And big enough for two. Oh, I love its funk. It's, it's got great light for painting. It's okay, but I'm seeing a lot of work that needs to be done. I'm not so sure about the structure. We'd have to have it checked. Do you see those sagging moldings? Something's wrong behind them causing that, and, and the windows are dubious. Like, the kitchen alone would cost an additional 20 grand to redo. But the kitchen looks fine. Couldn't we live with it the way it is? Nope, solid balance. You can't open the fridge all the way, and, and don't you see? The, the counter's too wide, all out of proportion. Someone didn't know what they were doing. Cheap cabinets, too. I, it needs a good architect. I, I could probably do it myself, but we can talk later. I'm not ruling it out yet. Not ruling it out yet? His words repeated in my mind. Was he going to decide where we lived because he was footing the bill? Rebellion stirred in me, but I refrained from saying, You can't force me to live where I don't want to. I thought how ironic it was that lovers ended up being against each other when looking for a house, when their goal was to make a happy nest together. Back outside again, we said goodbye to Brenda and trudged down the snow-blanketed street, following wavy car tracks for a path. A plow had been through, but long ago, and eight more inches of snow had fallen. Residents hadn't dug out yet, and the sidewalks were harder to navigate than the streets. The parked cars looked like a giant white caterpillar undulating down the street. When we reached Civilization at the bottom of the hill, Charles Street, with all its quaint English-style shops, I hoped Rod would cheer up. The black lacquered doors with tinkling sleigh bells invited us to come in from the wind-lashing cold. We gladly stepped into the nearest cafe and got in line at the counter. It was there that a familiar voice reached me, a loud voice. I turned and saw Lori babbling away at a small table with Ambrose and Mr. Wu. I quickly turned back, but not before Mr. Wu caught sight of me and flashed a friendly smile. Ugh, guess who's here, I mumbled to Rod. Oh, you want to leave? No, we can hide in the back. Unfortunately, by the time we got our coffees, the only table available was two away from Lori's. So we sat down, turning away from her as best we could, and chatted in low voices about the condos. We could hear snatches of conversation from the other table. Ambrose's East Boston Prospect will have 25 stories with offices, retail, and luxury apartments, Lori said. Oh, who's building it? Mr. Wu asked. I'm not sure. Do you know Ambrose? Is it 
an Italian name? Anyhow, the blue line's right there, the airport five minutes away. It's pretty ideal, maybe even comparable to your Millennial Tower, given that East Boston's the latest hotspot. Hey, Ambrose, did you bring that article from Business Week? Oh, I, I, I think I did, Ambrose said in his stilted drawl, his hands patting at his various pockets. It's, it's good. It's quite a good write-up. Worth reading. Uh, the reporter describes in, in detail with, with official statistics uh, the area's growth and, and economic potential. If, if you're interested, I, I'd be happy to, to show you the property. Oh, I, I'd like that. Uh, maybe next week. Rod and I finished our coffees and got up to leave. Mr. Mbu noted us and quickly reached for his parka on the back of his chair. It all sounds interesting, Ambrose, he said, getting up. I'm definitely open to hearing more. And this has been enjoyable. So cozy, just the way snowy days should be. Let's talk again on Monday when my secretary can look at my calendar. Oh, good, Ambrose said. Great, Laurie echoed. What time does your secretary get in? Uh, uh, not sure. Laurie and Ambrose also got up and put on their coats. Laurie wore a sumptuous sheepskin that came to her ankles. She placed a Russian fur hat on her head and then adjusted it self-consciously with her ringed, polished fingers. Oh, hello, Mr. Wu said as Rod and I tried to slip past them. Oh, hello, everyone, I said, and handshakes went around. Rod's the contractor who redid the tennis courts, Lori told Ambrose. Redid and donated, Rod smiled at her. That's right, he made a substantial gift to the school, she said. Well done, good to see you again, Mr. Wu said. Then to me he said, What a coincidence to run into you, Pia. I wonder, do you and Rod have five minutes to spare? I want to show you our solarium. It was the studio of a Victorian artist named Eliza Payne. Do you have time? Now? Yeah, we're free. I looked at Rod for confirmation. He nodded brusquely. I've never heard of Eliza Payne, and I, I, I don't know anything about Boston's Victorian artists, except the ones in museums, I said. Well... She's in the MFA, one painting, that is, of Julia Ward Howe. But you're right, she's not well known. That sounds interesting, Laurie said, moving forward to join the conversation. I'd love to... Mr. Wu, with a natural grace, said his goodbyes. It was such a pleasure, Laurie. Thank you for setting up this meeting. I'll be in touch Monday about East Boston, Ambrose. And with that, he guided us out the door. My head was feeling flushed with a mixture of excitement and anxiety. We had been selected, and not Lori, to go to Mr. Wu's Beacon Hill Pad. I was sure I would pay later for the special attention. I glanced back once as we crossed Charles Street, and I saw Lori watching us pick our way through the snow. The way her sheep's coat hung from her shoulders and her hat stuck foolishly on her head suggested disappointment. Ha <laughs> I win. Thank you for listening to episode 12 of Redline. Redline is written by G.D. Spilsbury and narrated by Anna Gravel, directed and produced by Fred Greenhalge, with assistant producer Grace Waldron. Redline is dedicated to Jim Cantor and Brooke Lambert. If you've enjoyed this Redline story, please tell your friends about us and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Leaving reviews allows us to get more listeners, like yourself, so we can keep bringing you good stories. Learn more about Redline at redlinepodcast.com. That's redlinepodcast.com. Hold up. 